In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Wes Boss about getting things done and building your own tools. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 56. Hey everyone, welcome to Full Stack Radio episode 56. I'm your host Adam and today I'm welcoming back to the show Wes Boss. How's it going Wes? It's going great, thank you for having me. So what's new with you man? I see you just put out a new uh, JavaScript course I think a day or two ago. Yeah, yesterday actually. Uh, less than 24 hours ago I put out javascript30.com and it's a, it's a free video course that does 30 challenges in just vanilla JavaScript. So it's really for people who are looking to buff up on their on their buff up. I don't know if that's a thing, but they're looking to buff up on uh, on their JavaScript skill set without any compilers or webpack or all this bullshit that we're used to. <laughs> awesome, man. So how's the response been to that so far? It's going really well here. Let's give you a live tally. Uh, JavaScript30.com. 25,389 people in the last 24 hours. Holy. Which is absolutely insane. Yeah, it's it's. I think I hit a nerve. I think people are looking for this. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I saw you had it up on just like a little half gig digital ocean <laughs> yeah. droplet or something like that. It's it's still going strong on half gig. Uh, I don't know a lot about surfers, but it's I've been running that thing for about three years now, and that's the only time I've really maxed it out. And I just moved a whole bunch of it was because all of the the image requests. I had them in like an images folder, so I threw them up on Amazon, and uh, the spike went way down just because of uh serving up images i guess takes a bit yeah for sure yeah so uh today what i was kind of hoping we could talk about is just kind of diving into sort of all the things that you've got going on and how you sort of stay on top of everything because i think a lot of people look at you and they think wow like this guy gets a ton of stuff done he's always putting out you know new courses i'm sure you're always dealing with like customer support for like customers for your existing products i know you also like teach in the evenings and stuff like that so i would love to just kind of learn more about what are all the different things that you have going on and what are all the responsibilities that you have these days? Yeah, so um, I don't do any client work anymore. I've been off of client work for about four or so months now, um, and I'm just doing full-time uh, both teaching. I teach in Toronto twice a week uh, at HackerU, and then also pretty much my, my full-time job right now is just making courses, supporting those courses, uh, and, and marketing those courses, which is a big part of it as well. So... Yeah, it's it seems like I, I always like to preface these things with like everyone's like, how do you get so much done? And and the reality is, is that I do almost everything I do in public. So the reason why my GitHub is so green, the reason why uh, I it seems like I get so much done is that I do everything in public. I'm allowed to share everything. Most people work a, a day job where they're not allowed to screenshot what they're working on or or ask specific questions where where I am. So. Uh, I just share a lot when I think therefore it, it makes it look like I do a lot. Uh, but I do, I do have some ideas around productivity, though. I, I do like to be extremely productive. Yeah. Yeah. So so what does your normal day look like? Like, how do you get started in the day? Yeah. Um. Usually what I'll do when I wake up is uh, I'll start to work on something. Um. I've, I've gotten really good about email lately. I get, we can talk about email because I'm sure that's a, a huge thing. But Usually what I'll do is I'll start cutting my teeth into something that I'm interested in working on, whether it's recording some videos, whether it's uh, working on my course platform, whether it's uh, hunkering down on Facebook ads or or whatever it is. I, I try to get all that work done because there's always a bunch of riffraff that 
that can happen in the morning. Uh, but I find that that's sort of just pisses away uh, your entire day. So I try to either get something done or I schedule a meeting right for 9 a.m. Um, like I did that today. And, and what that allows me to do is is like just get those meetings or calls if I have to. I try not to ever do calls. But if I do, then I'll do it right at 9 a.m. and get it over with. So I'm not like sort of sitting around waiting for like a 1015 call that ends up ending at 11 in the year morning is shot. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So you start your day by trying to pick something important that you actually for sure want to get done that day and then kind of pushing off the sort of, you know, less important tasks that can kind of accidentally easily fill up your day until the rest of the day. So at least at the end of the day, if you've got to go back and look and see like, okay, what did I get done today? You know, for sure you at least got one meaningful thing done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll do a in like the night before or the morning of. I'll do just sort of a brain dump into my uh, to do app of just things that n- need to happen, and then I'll sort of bubble them up and down and, until I get a list, and then I just start chipping away first things first off. Uh, and I get something substantial done in the morning, um, and then I don't know after lunch or so, I, I like to sort of just motor through some of the smaller stuff. Uh, and in that case, I, I actually do it backwards. I, I like to chip away at the smaller stuff first. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned your to-do app. Uh, I know that in the past you've mentioned that you're a big fan of the sort of getting things done methodology. Uh, do you mind kind of going into a little bit more about what that is and kind of what the important takeaways from that are for you? Yeah. Um. So I'm by no means like a, a getting things done expert, but I've sort of taken some of the, the core ideas and applied them to myself. So um, I guess the idea behind getting things done first is to get out of your head and into some sort of system. So uh, we talk a lot about, as programmers, cognitive load. And there's there's huge cognitive load when you have things in your head that need to get done and it starts to bother you. So uh, out of your head, into your system. So I use uh, Things. It's a to-do app. There's a thousand of them out there. It doesn't matter which one you use. Um, I've been using Things for so long. And, and what I like about it is it gives you projects, which you can then put those things, those to-do lists and the to-do items into a list uh, and you can sort of categorize it for, okay, right now I'm working on project A or project B uh, and you sort of just just chip away. What else? Another thing, if it takes less than two minutes, just do it. Uh, so rather than making a list item and putting it, just do it now, just do it really quickly. And, and sometimes that's all you need to just fire off an email or get something done really, really quickly. I'm trying to think about what other things from from GTD that I've done. I, I think really the big thing that I take away is just out of your head into your system. And then you you have the ability to just look at it when you have a chunk of time and, and decipher what you can get finished in that time. Yeah. Yeah. I started going through the Getting Things Done book uh, pretty recently too. And definitely the thing that stuck out the most to me and has been the most helpful is that idea of making sure that anything that kind of pops into your head that you know you need to take care of put it in your system so that you are done worrying about it and stressing about it all the time. And you know, it's somewhere sort of permanent that's kind of being held onto for you. It's sort of like crazy to me. I didn't realize how much of an impact that would have on just like my overall anxiety levels, because now I never really have to worry about like little things popping into my head that I have to take care of that I'm worried I might forget about. As soon as I just write them down, it just like frees up all this mental energy to like stop worrying that I'm going to forget about it. You know what I mean? It's been really, really, really helpful. I used Todoist, which is like a very similar app to I think what you use. But yeah, they're all basically the same. But that one's been working well for me. Uh, one thing that I've been finding myself doing with it that uh, has been kind of useful too that I'm kind of curious about what other people are doing 
is I find myself almost barely using a calendar anymore. Like most of the uh, stuff that I need to track that needs to happen on certain dates, I'm actually putting in my to-do app. So if I have like a dentist appointment or anything like that, I'm actually putting it in my to-do app instead of my calendar. Uh, are you kind of using a combination of a to-do list and a calendar or do you use like uh, dates for things in your to-do app at all? Yeah, usually if I have something that is very time sensitive, I'll, I'll stick a, a, a date on it. Um, I don't really put things that need to get done in my calendar. I just put important like meetings and stuff like that into my calendar. Um, but other than that, I really just try to get as much done. I, I, I am in the position where I don't have hard launch dates for things. Obviously, I'd like to get them sooner, done sooner than later. Uh, but I don't really assign too many dates. I just have ideas in my head and when I should when, when I should be launching things. Yeah. Yeah. Something else I actually wanted to talk to you about that I think you have, uh, you know, some good ideas on from what I've seen is just kind of dealing with uh, email and stuff. So uh, I recently launched a course that has been, you know, really successful and a lot of people have been checking it out. And in the first few days, I was completely overwhelmed by email from people with questions or, you know, needing support and things like that, just at a scale that I've never really had to deal with in any way. Usually my email load is very light, you know, it's very manageable. Uh, but I imagine that you probably deal with the same thing at like an even bigger scale on like, you know, a much more regular basis. So I'd be curious to know kind of what your strategies are for trying to be as efficient about that as possible and sort of making it as systematic as possible. Yeah. So I think my major breakthrough was like I've had an email problem for years and years and years and and maybe like six months a year ago I really started to get a hang of of the email, um and it all boiled down to me was that I was just a bad decision maker. It wasn't that I didn't have the right email app or the tagging system or any of that stuff and that stuff definitely helps and I have all that in place. It's it's you have a decision problem where you open an email and you go, hmm, I'm not really sure. This conference wants me to speak. I'm not really sure. Or this person has a question about a discount because they live in a country where it's too. I'm not really sure. And then I just close it and come back to it later. And I'm like, eh, I'll, I'll respond later. So just deal with it immediately. You should have sort of some sort of system in place where uh, when someone asks you a question or when someone needs to know something, you can make those decisions right away. Even if, if there's like a, a high barrier to you making that decision, like, will you come to this conference? Figure it out. And and when you can make those decisions really quickly and you get better at it over time, then everything just becomes so much easier and really just a huge load off your shoulders because you don't have to really worry about that stuff. You don't have to go back to your email and be like, eh. Because what I used to do is that I would do my email until I hit a hard thing and then I would just close it. And then I would come back and I would do my email until I hit that hard thing again and then I would close it. And then the emails after that hard thing would never get answered because they just fall below, right? So decision paralysis, number one, uh, just being able to just make decisions in your life. And then also just not giving a shit if you don't get to all of your emails. Like I get to most of them, but if I don't, I don't care. Like I I'm trying my hardest. But at the end of the day, I'm not getting paid. Email is busy work for me. Um, and and I'll try to, to get to as much of it as possible. But your email inbox should not be a to-do list that the entire world has access to, right? Like I, I shouldn't have my day controlled by other people. So if I can't get to it, it's not a big deal. I'll get to it eventually at some point. And 
yeah, that's that's pretty much my thing. Make decisions. Don't give a shit. And then there's there's tools. We can talk about that as well if, if you like. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, one of the things that I really started getting into uh, to try and solve some of these problems I was running into was making heavy use of like text expander style snippets. I'm using Alfred, not actual text expander, but I know I've seen you talk about text expander in the past. And it sounds like you're sort of a power user in that respect. So I'd be interested in kind of knowing what sort of problems that you're solving with text expander and any sort of neat tips and tricks that you have that you can share there too. Yeah. So um, so text expander, for those who don't know, surprisingly, a lot of people are like, oh, I never heard of that before. It's an app where you type in like a little piece of short code and it will expand to a larger amount. But it's it's more than just snippets. People are like, oh, that's built into OSX. Why don't you just use that? Like you can I use it obviously for things like people ask for a student discount and then I just right away hit them with the student discount. Um or people ask me all the time, what font are you using? What sublime text theme are you using? All that stuff. So I have a little page on my website that that links I, I link out to it. So I just type uses and it expands to hey, whatever. Um, so that's like the very basics of it. Obviously writing less text. Um, but the other thing is like it just allows me to to be more personal with people because what you can do is you can copy their name and then you expand the snippet and it will put their name into like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for the email. Um, and a lot of people would think like, oh, that's that's cheating. That's not very honest. I think it's it's very honest because it allows you not to just shoot off a really uh, like aggressive, quick email, but it allows you to like give the people the time of day by just saying the same thing that you've sent over and over again to, to the same people. So putting their name in it. Also, what I'll do is I'll hit the snippet and then I'll do like one little quick thing like, hey, how's Utah? Her, it's beautiful. Or hello from Canada. I just add like one little like, Thing that lets them know that because sometimes they send it within like three seconds of getting the email and they're like are you a bot and they're like no it's it's me so i added like a little like congrats or whatever like something personal about that and it allows me to like connect on that level with the people where i wouldn't be able to to possibly do that w- without it yeah for sure it makes a lot of sense uh, so when you're dealing with email do you try and like bucket it all into one time of day or do you try and deal with it as it comes in or what's your kind of general approach so I'll have it open all day and I'll see everything come in. Um, but being able to not care is, again, that's a really important skill because you look at it, you're like, oh, like stuff that comes in immediately, like a student discount, that person is ready to buy. I'll send that back immediately because then they they got the page open, they got the tab open, they, and then they more, more than likely always buy immediately. Uh, but for and also like things that are, are quick questions, I have a snippet I can send that back immediately. But for things that require decisions, I'll I'll usually block out maybe once or twice a day where I'll just blow through it all. Uh, I'll do send an archive. There's a little Gmail extension that you can turn on. Send an archive is the best because you send one, archive it, and then the next one's in, right in your face. It never gives you a chance to escape. Because you send an archive, the next one's in your face and, and over and over and over again. And I don't know, I can I can take 45 minutes or so just to, to blow through my inbox. And then I uh, I wait for it another couple hours or so. Cool. Do you have anything that you do to sort of try and avoid getting distracted when you're working? So you have more time to sort of stay focused and, you know, working deep on one particular thing. I know for me, it's really easy to accidentally get caught up doing something that I know is like kind of sort of important and needs to get done, but it's not really driving me towards maybe getting the most important thing done that I wanted to get done that day. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts around that at all? Yeah. There's, that's that whole like working 
in your business instead of working on your business. Like, obviously, I could do some things that aren't really you have to do little that little small stuff every now and then. But like, it's important to make sure is what I'm doing right now making my customers happy, which is in turn going to make them buy more courses or is it allowing me to create more content? That's really like my two big goals is to make people happy and to make more content. So I don't know, like, what do I do in, in terms of that? I, I'm just pretty good at focusing. And I think a lot of that has to do with just loving what I do. Because when I was doing client work and I didn't necessarily love it, like was that when I was in the, in the groove and I was like loving like the page I was building and the, the code I was writing, like I could code all day, but then you're like, fixing floats or some shit like that. Like, eh, not really that into this. It's so much easier to get uh, to get distracted. So I, I really don't have an answer for that because it's it's not very nice to say, well, just love what you do, because that's not an answer for, <laughs> sure. for most people. But uh, I don't know, just just having a lot of fun with, with what I'm doing. I really like it. So it, it, it sort, sort of comes easily. Yeah. Yeah. Something that uh, is always kind of lurking in the back of my head that I'm always worried about catching up on is just like sort of accounting crap. Like, you know, as someone who's self-employed, I got to keep track of all my expenses. I got to make sure I track all my income that is coming in and make sure that I'm staying on top of, you know, all that stuff. And uh, it's something that I've been trying to get better at, but I find that it's really easy to waste a lot more time on that than I want to if I'm really trying to be on top of it and really trying to keep things uh, organized. But it's annoying because it's one of those things that, you know, doesn't directly drive my business forward or, you know, make things better for any of my customers. Uh, What is kind of your approach to dealing with sort of business owner responsibilities like that that don't have, you know, a direct impact on um, improving your business necessarily? So either hire it out where send it shoebox it to your accountant and let them deal with it um or so i I do that mostly just get someone else to do it because i don't feel like doing it or uh batch it like i i know there's people that like take a photo of every single receipt that they have but like that will just eat away at my life and i hate doing that so uh, i much rather and i have a huge stack of them right here I'd much rather just throw it all into a shoebox and then just deal with it at one time because I'll be in the zone. I'll know what I'm doing. I'll be really good at it. And and that's what I do. Usually my wife and I, once a year, we'll get, I don't know, a six pack of beer and we'll just blow through all of our receipts and we just put them into categories and stuff like that. And it's really, it really doesn't take that long. Like maybe every year we spend six hours doing it, like three hours each or four hours each. And I bet that we would have spent more time if we tried to do it manually every single time right yeah definitely makes a lot of sense just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors and that is rollbar so here's what paul the founder of circle ci had to say about one of their favorite features of rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at circle ci before we use rollbar we used a different error tracking service and we were shopping for a new one and so we did the the tour and looked at, at rollbar and all of its competitors and it was it was really the feature set of rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there in particular the people tracking, I think, is is really, uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th- this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer 
and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. So when you're starting on a new project, uh, how do you kind of get things started? Like, what's the first thing they usually do? I find, uh, for me, it's kind of very easy to procrastinate on things, especially right at the very beginning when you kind of don't have the ball rolling yet and you don't kind of have that momentum going because maybe it's a really big project and it's sort of intimidating and, you know, even though you think it's going to be fun and it's going to be something that you really enjoy working on, sometimes it's still hard for whatever reason to actually get the damn thing started and get the uh, momentum going. So I'd be curious to know like what your approach is to starting a new project like this JavaScript course that you just put out. Yeah, um, I think what I do is a, a couple things. First of all, I have just things, a whole bunch of little things started. So JavaScript 30, I've, I've owned the domain name for over a year now and I only just released it. And it's because I've been collecting little ideas and little snippets. And I, I just have this huge file on my computer full of ideas. And every time I have an idea, I'll just dump it into there. And then when it's time for me to work on a new course, I already have sort of like that that groundwork where I don't have to sit down. So I just, I wait for the inspiration to come to me and then I put it in a file and then when it's time to sit down and work on it, you already have that that hard part down, which is getting the inspiration and, and whatnot. Um, and then and then once it's time to work on it, what I'll do is I just share a ton about it. I email my entire email list about what's coming next. And then uh, you should see how many tweets and emails I get from people being like, hey, Wes, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? And And seeing people so excited about it and like so looking forward to it is is such a motivation to me because a i know they're gonna buy it or if it's free they're going to really enjoy it um and i don't have a beat (laughs) i just it's just really motivating to see people uh really looking forward to it yeah for sure so with the javascript course did you kind of make up all the challenges and kind of get them all ready in advance and then go back and record all the videos or did you kind of record the videos as you were making them up or what was your kind of approach there yeah i always i always build what we are going to build first and then i redo it a couple times over and i make sure that it's good code um and then and then I go back and, and re-record record it because something with like in something like with the React course where it's a huge project, um, I need to make sure that it's fun, that it looks good, that you can break it down to be linear, that it's actually something that you'd use in real life. There's all these things to it. And I'm doing that right now with a node course as well. I'm just building an app and I'm sort of just like piecing things together. And then once it's done, I can sort of like backwards backstep it into what videos would go and and how it would how it would look in a video series as well as like how you can build it so that it, you're not going to get too stuck at any given time. Yeah, cool. So, I know for all the courses that you've put together so far, you've kind of taken control of the entire kind of experience from start to finish, right? Like you built out your whole own course platform instead of hosting it somewhere else. You know, you wrote all your own payment code and all that stuff. I'd be curious to know uh, what the sort of decision-making process was like to kind of get to deciding to do it all yourself instead of using some sort of existing platform and what some of the pros have been and what some of the cons have been. Yeah. Um, so 
the reason why I first did it is because my first product, which was a book and videos on Sublime, it, there was no like thing that out there at the time that would would help me do it. And I thought, okay, let, let me build something that would have full control over it. And there are things like like every single company, like Skillshare and Udemy and and all these things, all these people, they have all contacted me and they've all had calls with me asking. And uh, the reason why I didn't do it is a it's it's a poor experience for my students. Uh, I don't have full control over it. And and at that point, I'm just another Udemy course or just another Skillshare course where you're ma- you don't make a lot of money off of it. You don't give your your people a good experience. Like a huge one for me was the having the ability to speed up the video. Like a lot of these courses don't have a button to speed up the video. And like most developers listen at least 1.25x. So I just wanted to have full control over that experience for the actual students taking the course. Um, and then also I want access to my students as well. Because if you're selling on another course platform, you're just building the email list for them. And and there's there's not a whole lot of reciprocity where people like you, they just like your course. They like, I don't know, Udemy or whatever, whatever it is that they're working on and they'll just take another course there. So I, I think that I'm I'm able to bring more value and also show more perceived value by uh, having my my own course platform and sort of ha- keeping it all in house for for myself. Yeah. Has there been any like challenges with that or has it been more work than you were expecting in any way? Yeah, it's it's a pain in the ass to build your own thing. Like like there's a reason why these course platforms exist cuz it's hard, right? Um so I don't know, I've I've learned a lot along the way. I've had lots of crashes. Um have had my databases go down uh in the middle of the night. All of that good stuff that that comes along with it, right? But I don't know. I think it's it's worth worth doing just because of uh, some of the the benefits that I've I've had, and it's also fun. Like um, a lot of people ask me, like, "Oh, why don't you hire people out to to do X, Y, and Z? And why don't you use a course platform? And why don't you just like not write a single line of code and use Zapier or Zapier for everything and just like string together all these different services?" And it's like, well, I'm a I'm a developer and I love this stuff. Like, it's fun for me. It's really fun for me to build a course platform and to to learn about all the stuff and to learn about how Nginx falls over when you're serving up millions of images and and all this stuff because I'm learning and then I can turn around and and teach this stuff in my courses, right? Because like nobody wants to buy a course from a guy who who just doesn't actually build stuff in the real world. So I have a couple products of my own that I I, I run and and that's where I sort of cut my teeth and that's where I learn all of this stuff is by actually doing it yeah for sure yeah for for the course that i just released i ended up doing the same thing like build the whole platform myself but for me it was really just because i couldn't find anything out there that really did everything the way that i wanted it to be done um have you ever thought about making your course platform available for other people to use like either as an open source thing or something like a SaaS app or something that people pay to host themselves or anything like that yeah I get emails all the time. People either want to license it or they want to see the code and just to learn from it. And uh, I would love to, but it's like so specific. Like a, like all a lot of my course data, like the list of videos, it's all just held in JSON files. And like there's no back end. Like if you change your email, I just open up my database manager and like 
there is a bit of a back end, I guess, because you got to log in to see the course and stuff like that. But there's no account profile. Like there's just so much. It's so specific to what I want to do. And I can just imagine the nightmare of emails I would get being like, hey, how about we support this? And then it becomes like a huge thing where everybody's invested in their own feature. And I just want to keep building courses right now rather than build a course platform. I'm sure at one point it'll become like really honed that I could make it a SaaS or something like that. But uh, I'm really focused on on making more content right now rather than than building a product like that and having to deal with the the GitHub issues and, and all that nightmare stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So working on your own course platform, it sounds like uh, you're still kind of constantly updating it and making tweaks and stuff like that. Do you have any sort of uh, interesting stories to share around like either new things that you're adding to make it better for your customers or kind of things that you've added that have made things a lot easier for you or saved you a lot of time or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I built in like a whole affiliate dashboard, which is kind of cool. So p- people who refer uh, my courses, they earn a 40% cut of the profits. Um, and then I build a whole affiliate dashboard for the people where they can see what they're selling, when they're selling it, where the links are coming from, all that good stuff, which which really helped my sales because then people saw what worked. Because I used to just have to send them a PayPal every month and they, didn't, they were like, oh, I guess it worked. I guess it didn't. But this gives them real-time feedback. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely worth it because because affiliates are, are really starting to work out for me. What else? I added uh, to the the video player itself. I've added um, just skip buttons, speed buttons. I've added captions, which is really cool uh, that I can pipe into the video player. Uh, Auto playing. It's there's all kinds of stuff. And people are asking me for features all the time uh, to be added to it. So it's kind of fun to be able to to continue on and, and to build all of this cool stuff. So um, one thing I did was for my Sublime book. And then when I moved to React, I just duplicated the whole install. And then I was running two at the same time, which is not a good idea. Um, even if you have like sub modules in Git and stuff like that. So uh, I moved over to like just having a platform. But I also like to run on multiple domains just because I think I don't know, people think I'm crazy for having a new domain for every product. Um, I think it works well. But, but this thing now powers... Uh, three of my courses and eventually will power all of my courses. So I just have this one big beast, which will be able to power absolutely everything. So with free courses like the JavaScript course, is that even running on the same course platform? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I had to modify it to allow free courses um, because previously it was just paid courses. So there's a whole bunch of stuff with invoicing and checkout. So I modified that whole checkout flow uh, to allow for free courses. And now I can start to move all my free ones over to the same thing, which is kind of cool because I think it gives you a bit of a better viewing experience than YouTube. Um, And also people stop asking me if it's just YouTube videos, which drives (laughs) me nuts as I spend three months on a course and upload it to YouTube. I'm like, oh yeah, some YouTube videos. Like, like I just slapped them together. (laughs) Awesome. So with like the uh, the affiliate so. system that you're talking about, that's kind of an interesting thing to have to go ahead and build, I guess, because it has to kind of, I don't know, it's pretty complex by the sounds of it. You have to kind of integrate with a lot of different things. Uh, so how does that end up actually working? Are you dropping like a cookie on people's machines and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, it's super simple, actually. Uh, so I give each of my affiliates a, uh, um, a URL. It's like, whatever the course is forward slash friend forward slash their affiliate code. So if you ever see any of those, that's an affiliate link. Uh, Someone clicks that, drops a cookie in their browser for two weeks. 
then it pushes them off to the homepage, uh, which if they then buy it in any time in the next two weeks, um, then the the sale is tagged with their affiliate code. Uh, and then at the end of the month or, or when they're viewing the course dashboard, I just query all of the purchases for anyone who has that affiliate code in the purchase. And then I can run reports against that and, and send off payments. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. So the goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application, and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information, so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. Actually, a topic that I've been talking about on the podcast uh, with a few other people recently is kind of around the idea of just kind of marketing and marketing strategies. And um, for you, as someone who makes courses for developers and stuff like that, you know, I think developers are kind of a particularly interesting market because I don't think they put up with a lot of bullshit when it comes to like kind of crappy kind of spammy seeming sales tactics and stuff like that and honestly when you're trying to learn about that stuff and trying to learn how to market your products and stuff that's the sort of conventional wisdom that i find you run into a lot of time it's stuff that i think doesn't really end up working that well uh, when your market are developers and people who kind of have a low bullshit threshold so i'm sort of curious uh, about what sort of strategies that you've been using uh, for your stuff and what you find has worked and what hasn't worked for you. Yeah, I, there's there's like a really fine line between feeling skeezy because I listen to a lot of these podcasts like AppSumo and Neil Patel and all these things. And they're like, put a thousand pop ups on the thing and and trick people and like do all this stuff. And it works great. It's like, of course, it works great. But like developers aren't stupid. And also, like, it just doesn't make me feel good. But on on the same side, you really do need to market your stuff. Like it's not a build it and they will come. It's it's build it and there's crickets. Like you you really need to work on uh, on marketing it and selling it to people and, and making them feel that it's worth it. So 
I don't know, really my my thing is a being very genuine with people. Um but but also not being afraid to uh to market a little to to brag about how many people have signed up for the course. So that's one thing I do is I put the number of of sales right on the page, which is some sometimes like weird because people are like, "Oh, this is how much you made." And they have no idea about the costs and affiliates and and all the stuff behind it, but but also it's so, it's social proof and it shows people exactly uh, what they're doing. Reviews from people work really really well. Seeing like someone prominent in the industry either review it or just tweets of people who uh, I like to keep those up to date. Where people are saying I'm having a great time in this course, and then I'll I'll throw that on the page uh, in there. Um, when you have a sale, a, a countdown timer because. A lot of times, the countdown timer, some people don't like, but sometimes people just need a bit of a kick in the pants to actually commit to the course. Uh, and, and when I have like a Black Friday sale or a launch sale like that, a timer is enough to be like, oh, better grab it now. And uh, that's really good. And then on the same note, I also offer 100% money back. So I don't in any way want to pressure people into buying it. So if people have bought it and then they realize it's not for them or they bought it and they get their credit card statement and they're like, I just can't afford this. Happy to happy to refund that because I don't want to I just want people to learn and, and to get value out of the course. And if they feel pressured into it, I don't want them to to buy it or, or to keep it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, maybe a good thing to kind of wrap up on. Uh if there was someone who was maybe interested in getting into this sort of training product space or wanted to, you know, write a book or put together a screencast series or something like that, uh, what sort of things would you recommend that they invest their time into uh, in order to sort of increase their chances of success as much as possible and make sure that people know about it and that people are interested in it and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, well, first, content, content, content. It has to be good. You have to know how to explain things simply to people. So like, Spend your time on that. Spend your time learning how to teach. Spend your time making good content because that's number one. That's like 90% of it at the end of the day. Um, but then past that, email is king. Uh, my email list is 20 times more powerful than my Twitter following or Facebook or anything like that. That stuff is just, it's uh, email is king. Uh, I wish I had known about that a lot earlier. Um, so really just, yeah, just, just actually build something. A lot of people like to send me emails and they love to pontificate about what color blue their button should be when they buy, when like they don't actually have anything to buy. Don't worry about AB testing. Don't worry about, uh, sales copy and all that stuff. That stuff's very important, but get your stuff done first and then, then start to, to worry about it. So uh, how did you go about like building an audience, the size of the audience that you have? Like you have something like 80,000 followers on Twitter or something. And I have no idea how big your email list probably is at this point. Uh, but, you know, what do you think contributed to getting so many people to, you know, pay attention to the stuff that you're doing? Yeah. Um, well, first, I've been on Twitter for almost 10 years now. So I've been on it forever. Uh, and I, I had some success in the early days because there was not a lot of developers on Twitter. Um, but most of my my follows are coming from uh, I post tips on Twitter like every day or so. I just like say like here's a cool thing you can do with JavaScript or DevTools trick or CSS and and that'll get retweeted a whole bunch of times. Uh, and then people will say oh that's cool and then they'll they'll follow me from that. So just doing that for for three years straight um, has really helped me me break that thirty thousand forty thousand mark. Um, and then once you hit that mark, and then I also got verified on Twitter, it's, it started, it's so much easier now because 
people say, oh, there's 80,000 people following. I, I might as well. Like, clearly, I'm, I'm missing out, right? So it's, it's sort of like, how do you get rich? Well, you start with a lot of money. And how do you get a lot of Twitter followers? Well, you start with a lot of them. So like that, that first zero to 100 and 100 to 1,000 and, and 1,000 to 10,000 is, is so much harder than going from 50 to, to 80,000. But really just sharing content giving people content where they are. So you notice in my tips, I don't link people to my blog. And, and people think like Facebook and Twitter is just to drive people to their thing. It's it's not like post content where they are. Post it, If they're on YouTube, put it on YouTube. If they're on Twitter, put it on Twitter and don't pressure them to leave because th- they're not going to leave. Yeah, for sure. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It sounds like basically what's worked for you has just been to like be helpful, right? And help people yeah, and uh, yeah. teach people stuff. And then instead of wasting your time kind of getting sucked up into arguments on Twitter, actually, you know, be some sort of positive influence there exactly. that's actually, you know, helping people with what they're trying to learn. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So uh, is there anything else that you want to chat about or anything before we start wrapping things up? Um, I don't know. I think that's that's good for now. I don't know. Maybe I can come back if people want to hear more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So uh, what's kind of the best way for people to kind of follow what's going on with you and keep up with what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so you can check me out at westboss.com, W-E-S-B-O-S. There's a button in the sidebar for courses if you're interested in taking one of my courses. Uh, otherwise, I've got lots of good blog posts. I'm on YouTube, West Boss. I'm on Twitter, West Boss. I'm on Facebook, West Boss. I'm everywhere. So Wherever you like to hang out, let's do it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks a ton for coming back on the show, dude. It was awesome uh, chatting with you about this stuff. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. It's fun. If anyone is interested in uh, show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 56. If you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's awesome. And uh, thanks to Rollbar and Hired for sponsoring the podcast as always. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.